0: Welcome back to our first episode of the year of Meaningful Play. Um, I'm Heather, here with my brilliant, wonderful, stunning colleague, Sean. Mm. Um Happy New Year, everyone. Mm. Um, hope everyone's had a little bit of time to rest and
1: rest and rebuild. I <laughs> <laughs> legitimately did nothing for like two weeks and it was heaven.
0: Yeah, sometimes that is that is required. Yeah, Definitely over the break, it was the first time in a while that I've just been like, I'm just going to let myself play some games mm. and just work through some stuff that I've been meaning to play for ages but haven't gotten around to. Yeah, so we thought um, for the first episode of the year, we would start off by talking <laughs> about failure because we're bright and happy upbeat people. Um,
1: embracing failure, we should yes, say. Yes, yeah, 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 in a
0: way embracing failure. I think often at the start of the year, a lot of people, even if you don't fully believe in such a thing. A lot of people do set some intentions for mm. their time ahead. And I think the reality for a lot of us is, is those don't always play out the way we <laughs> like or maybe we go part of the way and change direction or we don't do them at all. Um, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily make them failures, or maybe it does, and failure is a good thing. Um, but something that a lot of scholars have sort of discussed, I think, especially in the last maybe decade about mm. video games is the capacity they have to explore the experience of failure. Mm. So that's yeah, that's what we're gonna be getting stuck into today. But before we do we thought we'd just chat about what we've been playing recently. So Sean, I'll throw it to you. <laughs> How did you spend your summer? So, I've been playing a bit of Fallout 76. Yes, I think this is really fun and interesting, because yeah. is, are people still playing Fallout 76? They are, so this yeah. is a great example of failure, right?
1: Because <laughs> the, what I knew about it mm. was that everybody hated it and yeah. thought it was a big mess. Yeah, get
0: a bad rap when mm. it came out.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, maybe if it's cheap. end it ended mm. up being something silly, like 10 bucks. Yeah, And I was like, sure. great, no problem, let's do it. Because it's you don't know, subscribe as mm-hmm. you've got it. You've got it. So we gave it a go, and it's like, it's not... I like Fallout. Like, mm-hmm. it's very straightforwardly Fallout. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know the scenario, you know how the mechanics work, you kind of mm-hmm. know who the enemies are. Um, but again, they have, like, freaky-deaky interesting things hidden, mm-hmm. through, you know, that sort of stuff, which yeah. I'm into. Um, I think the main thing is that when I say straightforwardly Fallout, it's quite literally as if you're just playing Fallout 4 or something, but it happens right. to be multiplayer. Yeah. In my experience so far.
0: Interesting. I'm interested to hear, like, how the multiplayer element. Because I haven't played for that years. Right? I'm interested to how the multiplayer is integrated in a very single player designed experience.
1: Yeah. Well, this is a funny thing. <laughs> like, well, like, so I, me and Harris play together. Yeah. And we're like, we're probably only really going to play together because that's what we enjoy about it. Sure. Um, there are things we notice, like, if you're doing the same story mission mm-hmm. and, like, you go into a building to talk to someone, mm-hmm. it says, oh, as a team lead, do you want to enter or whatever? Mm-hmm. But And the other player can enter, but they don't progress the, the quest, mm-hmm. even though you yeah. do. So it's sort of like, it's not really well implemented. Sure. You kind of, we generally, at those moments, which, to be fair, haven't been too frequent so mm-hmm. far. We just split up and do it at the same time separately yeah, and then meet okay. up after. But that was really confusing at first Mm. because the phrasing implied that it would actually count for both of you,
0: right? And it doesn't really make sense. Um, So it hasn't quite let go of like the first sort of single player narrative mm. aspects of the full full Fallout games. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. And to be fair, like it's pretty open world. Mm -hmm. We have encountered other players who are like hilarious and quite friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, You can build bases, and so I think Mm -hmm. like. I guess, yeah, the multiplayer aspect isn't really present in the main, in the way you play the main storyline as such. Um, So that was a bit weird and a bit jarring and Mm -hmm. it's kind of annoying. But otherwise, it's pretty straightforward Mm -hmm, Fallout, quite enjoy it. Um, It seems to flow pretty well so far. Mm -hmm. I can see, like, I think some of the original complaints when it first came out was just essentially it wasn't designed, it didn't understand how to make an MMO. So there were things like you can, I'm under the impression from the notifications I've got in-game, that when you get to a certain point, you can, like, let off nukes and blow shit up. Right. But apparently that was happening all the time yeah. in, like, the newbie <laughs> areas, and it was just absolute chaos. So, like, people would
0: come out of the tutorial and immediately yeah kills. Yeah. Okay. Whereas
1: now this message comes up being like, hey, there's a nuke that's going to be dropped, and it shows you on the map where it is, and I'm the impression that wasn't the way it was <laughs> originally. Right. Okay, sure.
0: Um,
1: so I can see how there probably were teething issues. Yeah. I think... It's interesting, like, I won't go into this too much, but mm. I know what we've spoken about before, like, it's, there's another game, there's another MMO that they're trying to make, I think it was through Kickstarter, and I was like, I think a lot of people don't realise the amount of effort it takes to make an MMO, mm. <laughs> and the balancing is bloody difficult, yeah. you know, and it's great that you've already, if I get it, you've already got a game, a world, a system, mm-hmm. blah, 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 but it's not easy to transfer that into an MMO scenario. And make it a pleasant experience. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I can definitely see how there were teething issues, but mm-hmm. I, so far we've, quite, we've Enjoy, enjoyed playing yeah. it together, yeah. you know? It's like a, a game we've always really wanted to play together and yeah. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid review. Cause mm. I mean, it's been out for a few years. Yeah. And I'm always, I think it's nice when there's still people playing a game mm. like that and still sort of investing in the space mm. um with their time more than anything else. But yeah.
1: And, and there's always those like, you know, you come across another um vault and it's sort of like mm. what weird experiment was happening in this yeah. one we came across a university that had got bought out by vault tech and there's mm. some quite bitchy in a nice way things on the computers and like yeah. i enjoy that stuff yeah you know? <laughs> like, a little bit of
0: sleuthing yeah. yeah yeah well i mean i loved i loved fallout 4 mm. i really enjoyed playing that and i played a lot of that and it's similar like mm. star wars i was going to ask you because a big part of the fallout games is like the vat system it's oh kind yeah of, like a signature Mode where you are able to kind of like slow down time mm. and decide where you're gonna hit with your
1: gun or your weapon mm. or whatever.
0: How does that work in multiplayer? Or is so, it still in the
1: game? I haven't actually used it yet, and mm. I don't know if it's because I haven't unlocked it or mm-hmm. I just haven't figured it out. Sure. I'm doing melee <laughs> oh, <laughs> just yeah, to course. be different. Yeah. <laughs> well, from it, I'm using like a rifle if I need to, but otherwise, yeah. I'm using... of course. So Har- I think Harris tried it. Mm-hmm. He must be a level above me or something. I don't know. And he was like, "Oh, it's kind of in the, the- with the gun. It's kind of a bit like a helpful order."
0: Yeah,
1: sure. um So, yeah, I was curious about that too, but personally, I haven't
0: actually had yeah. it happen yet. So, it's yeah. Kind of
1: not that different to the no. original titles, I guess. It's very manageable. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, sure. I mean, very last time fun. I played Melee in a Fallout game, I kept going in rooms that had gas in it and I had a fire sword oh. and I kept getting blown up. That so. sounds fun, though. <laughs> that sounds like a fun
0: failure. <laughs> I not I've ever played with a sword in a Fallout game.
1: I think I always try to be like, I'm going to do something different this mm. time, you know? Like, I love
0: this about the way you play. This <laughs> is like probably where we like tend to diverge. It. You'll be like, I'm going to try all these new ways. We were talking about this with Genshin, and mm. i right? like, I'm going to load up one character with just everything I have. And you're like, well, I'm going to try everyone and mix and match and be a bit more creative at the same and experimental.
1: Time, I definitely have like a core go to when sure. I know that I'm competent at. Yeah. And I will revert <laughs> to that when I need Sure. To you've it. got your,
0: your safety net. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, and what about you? What have you
0: been playing? What have I been playing? Well, yeah, as I mentioned, I I managed to play quite a bit over the, you know, two weeks that the university was closed, which was really, really nice. Um, but uh, I was just going to talk about two games yeah. that I played. Um, and one of them, our last episode of last year, we talked about our favourite games of 2022. And then immediately after we finished it, I played a game that by far was like <laughs> one of my favourites of 2022, but I hadn't played it yet. Um, And that was, I was a teenage exocolonist, which is just such a hilarious, it was really the light novel-esque, silly Mm. title that actually drew me to it initially, um, which is by Northway Games and Finji. I think Northway Games are a Canadian Mm -hmm. club, I could be wrong, might have to correct myself later on that. Um, But as Sean knows, I love this game so much, Um, it really, spoke to me on like quite a deep level some of the themes and ideas that I was exploring and I came across it because I was researching visual novel games or games that had visual novel elements for a chapter that we're working on at the moment um so yeah exocolonist it's it's kind of like a life simulator in a way I think that's probably the easiest like broad term to apply to it it has RPG elements it has like a card-based game to overcome different challenges, and you play as Sol, who's a 10-year-old child, born in space, halfway through a human expedition to a planet on the other side of a wormhole. Um, and you follow Sol through 10 years of their life in the age of 10 to 20, uh, and you have sort of, it's a really like nice balance of sort of more personal kind of experiences, mm. and especially as Sol gets Older and has more sort of responsibility and sway in the sort of community that they live in. Um, yeah, it, I think the balance between the sort of like the everyday experiences mm. and the sort of like grander, more sort of like political events is really nice. Um, there's like this is why, <laughs> this is why it's not one for shot. It's <laughs> got a card game in it, <laughs> but the way they've implemented it was quite charming because. You start the game with a small deck of cards and you use them. They they're sort of attached to different like skills and things like that and you use them in different events and, and sort of challenges. Mm. Um, and it doesn't really matter if you lose them as well. It's a little bit like Pyro by Supergiant mm. Games in that respect in that you could you could play through the whole game and sort of fail at everything and that's that would be a valid experience. Mm. It wouldn't stop you
1: from it's playing like the game. Life. <laughs> it I guess, yeah, yeah. sometimes
0: you just suck and <laughs> you just don't get to press restart, or well, you can if you mm. want to but like, um, yeah uh, but something that I found quite nice, especially like early in the earlier years of the game was that each card you acquire comes from a particular experience mm. you have, so say like you sneak out with your friend or something like that and you get a card that goes into your deck so every challenge that follows you're using your memories and sort of things that you've learnt um, to overcome them or to navigate
1: them. Which it's it, a nice way to, yeah. quantify maybe isn't the word I want, but it's a nice way yes. to like maybe make tangible our life experience and yeah. how we use that to tackle yes, things. Yes, I yeah. think it
0: was a really, you know, yeah, exactly what you say. Quantify mm. doesn't feel like the right word, but it was a nice way of using a gameplay mm. mechanic to sort of speak to what, the game was trying to say, or what the sorts of experiences it was exploring, mm-hmm. um yeah. And as like it's, it's funny, it, it's difficult to say because like I was trying to think of other games where I felt like children have been particularly well represented, and I I kind of came up yeah blank because something that I found so compelling about this game was how well the experience of being a child and a teenager was uh. kind of articulated and sort of the extreme emotions and the silliness and the sort of resentfulness at different <laughs> points. I just thought it was really, really beautifully written. Um, and definitely, uh, yeah, supported by a really, really nice soundtrack as well. Um, oh, I have, so Harris has
1: been playing with yes, it as well. Yeah. And I have, I genuinely was like this, this music sounds like I could be in a spa. And then I, like, drifted off to sleep while he was playing, and I was like, this is lovely. (laughs) And I don't mean that to say the game is boring, because not at all, but it genuinely was very lovely to listen to. Yeah, it's a
0: very, it's not, like, a fast-paced soundtrack, Mm. but it's very, like, emotive and and beautiful and kind of gentle as well, Mm. gentle enough to be, like, background music. But I was reading, I'll have to send it to you, actually, because one of the writers wrote a blog post on their website about how they could have like constructed the soundtrack. Um, because one of the tracks is done by, is it C418, the guy who did the Minecraft? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he worked on this soundtrack as well. He's one of the artists. But they were saying they needed to sort of craft a soundtrack that was representative of like 10 years of someone's life. So the sound was yeah. not going to be consistent throughout. They were going to be repeating motifs and things yeah. like that. Um, and the sort of conclusion they came to was they would have lots of different artists produce the track, so it wouldn't just be a single kind of composer. That's very um, cool. Yeah, and there's one of the artists, gosh, I should have made better notes for this. <laughs> they were saying, you know, like, one of the artists who did one of the tracks, they actually was just busking on the street, like, not too far oh, wow. from where it works, and they were like, oh, this is a good sound, and a very kind of, like, holistic sort of coming together of the music in the game, and how there's sort of this, sort of, like, lighter sort of tones in the when you're younger, but as soul grows up, like, the mood is a bit, has a bit more like depth to it. Um, yeah, so the soundtrack is very, very good. I would highly recommend a listen even if you don't play it. Mm. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of, yeah, a lot of themes in the games that I guess spoke to things that I'm interested in as a person, but yeah. also as a scholar. And one of the aspects that I loved was the kind of way it sort of explored a sort of post-human ideas Without being overtly about like cyborgs or anything like that, um, the so all the children in the colony who are kind of your like, probably your cl- closest companions mm. throughout the game or the ones that you sort of, depending on how much you interact with them, you see more of themselves and they have a sort of sway over the story. They all have a sort of genetic uh, enhancement, yes. or which is given to them, it's not whether when they're super young, but it starts to become visible by the age of six. Um, But they have these genetic enhancements, but the adults of the colony who, you know, sort of led this journey, Mm. they don't have these genetic enhancements. And I thought it was really interesting to see the sort of tensions that came from having these children who were modified and these adults who were not, because a lot of the modifications were not like, they're not like big hero, like, oh, or dramatic.
1: So, remember, one of them was like, didn't need much sleep or something. Right? Yes. And I was like, that yeah. seems difficult. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, there's, you know, there's some of them feel no shame mm. or don't have fear or they need little to no sleep in order to exist. And those sort of like fundamental human experiences mm-hmm. of like being afraid, um, feeling ashamed of your appearance or your looks or you know just needing to sleep on a regular basis sort of obviously fundamentally change how they how one would engage with the rest of a
1: community mm. it's sort of it's interesting too because yeah. there's things that even now i'd be like oh i wish i could function less like you know like yeah. i don't i say that to you very often <laughs> <laughs> and like, it is things like that, that yeah. I guess they're trying to make a point of like, that's actually, you know, that there's a reason you need to do that or the reason we yeah. have those experiences. And as a kid, you're probably like, oh, i would be amazing if I wasn't scared of anything. Yeah, but, yeah. You know. I mean,
0: part of me could be like, maybe I'm like exploring this aspect of the game too much because it's something that <laughs> I find really compelling. But on the one hand, it was very much like, yeah, like if we take away some of these aspects of ourselves, that can be challenging, but Probably what I found most compelling was like, you know, uh, so my, my favorite character, like the, the emo character, which is yeah, always my course. favorite character. <laughs> um, Dis is the one who doesn't feel fear and he's always sort of like slightly outside of the mm. community, he's never fully, he, he struggles especially when he's younger to sort mm. of feel like he fits and it's clear that like, his, sibling has less of an issue with this than he does, but at the same time, his like lack of fear gives him a very different perspective on the natural environment around them. Just so a Yeah, if yeah. you're on another
1: planet, you don't really know the flora and fauna, yes. you don't know if it's a dangerous place, so everybody else is probably like, oh my God, don't go
0: outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of the adults are obviously used to protecting the mm. children and doing all that kind of thing. Um, whereas his lack of fear, sort of leads to a more curious attitude about the natural environment, which was kind of refreshing and Mm. compelling to me, but also interesting how that created friction, that sort of different attitude created quite a bit of friction with some of the older people in the colony. But yeah, because it's a visual novel, like you do like sort of explore and point and click and play this card game and stuff like that but a lot of it this is very narrative mm. very very like narrative heavy game like the main reason you're playing it is to explore like yeah. what directions the narrative can take mm, yeah. um yeah i mean i Probably we'll talk about this more throughout the episode because I think it's another game that explores the idea of failure in a really compelling way, but that was a biggie for me over the summer. I love that game so much, Um, and Sean has already had to listen to me talk
1: about it. I enjoy it, it. I enjoy it. (laughs) Um,
0: So yeah, now I'm just trying to inflict it on as many people as possible. Um, Going okay so far. Uh, (laughs) And then the other one, Probably the other one that I played the most of over the summer was Pokemon Scarlet, which I mentioned wanting to play. Mm. Um, And yeah, I really like this Pokemon game. I still haven't quite finished it. Something that I really liked about it is in both um, Pokemon Sword and Shields and Pokemon Arceus, they've been trying to implement the open world mm. into Because that's games. the dream, right? We want to yes. live in a
1: Pokemon world. Exactly, I mean. <laughs> yeah. And
0: I felt like this game, in as much as I played of it, it was like the truest realization of that aspiration of the mm. Pokemon games. It feels like much more like the Pokemon live there and that they're not just like toddling from point A to point B, um, which sometimes I felt a bit in Arceus. Mm. It was kind of like they were there, but not necessarily living there. They were sort of plonked there yes yeah whereas in this game possibly the aspect that makes it feel more lived in is that the friendly Pokemon will sort of like follow you around so if you're like walking (gasps) out through the fields they'll sort of the nice ones at least or the ones who are curious will start to like gather around when you
1: said that Mareep does that I was like do you realize that Mareep is one of my favorite
0: Pokemon (laughs) oh there was one one of my yeah that was a really nice moment like not too long after you start playing one of the because the sort of quest structure is kind of open as well. Mm. You can kind of pursue it, and it doesn't restrict you to doing the gyms in a certain order, or you don't even actually have to do the gym stuff. There are other sort of, like, paths you can follow. Um, They all sort of involve Pokemon battling still, so it's not necessarily, like, wildly different, but it is a little bit different. But, yeah, one of the early, like, areas you can get to, there's all these sort of, like, farming fields, and I was just walking about, and I, like paused my game for and when I just like, came back and all these little Mareeps oh were <laughs> coming over and having a look and I was like that's a really nice um it just felt like you know there's a I think part of the reason people like Pokemon especially when they're young is that like wonder for the natural world for and sure. being like oh cool I got all these cool creature friends mm-hmm. and things like that and so I felt like that feeling they
1: Did a really good job with in this game. I saw a video online of Mm -hmm. like I think you can do emojis or something, maybe. Yes, yeah, you can do like selfies and do funny pictures. Multiple Meryl's copying. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's very cute. They just know how to get my heart. And now I'm like, do I need to play? I feel like if
0: you were going to play one of the newer Pokemon games, this one is probably the one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because,
0: yeah, you, you played a lot of the older ones, but mm. less of the more recent titles. Yeah, so like, I got yeah. up to
1: Gen 3 is kind mm. of where I was like, yep, yeah, cool, but is my favorite. So when you're mentioning sure. these Johto Pokemon, I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm melting inside. And I feel like I
0: didn't check, but I feel like the Pokedex for this game is also bigger. Like, mm. there's a lot of Pokemon in it. Maybe because they had to kind of populate the world sure. and make it feel like different areas had different feelings. Um, there, so every game they implement some they implement like new ways to play or slight alterations. And this one, there's like a, I think <laughs> I'm not gonna pronounce this. Probably there's like the stylize feature where you can change your Pokemon's type in a battle, which is kind what? of interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it adds. It actually, it's, it looks a bit silly, but it does add an interesting dimension sure, to, yeah. um, to playing. But they also have, probably, which I enjoyed more, was you can like make sandwiches for your Pokemon, which have different like, <laughs> stat buffs and <laughs> That's stuff That's like pretty that. cute. And it's just the <laughs> silliest little sandwich-making mini-game, and it plays this hilarious dinky music. I mean, it's on a timer and you kind of have to drop the ingredients onto the bread, but like, they don't want to stay on the bread, so...
1: <laughs> it's like the quop of sandwich-making games. Yes, so yeah. yes. They
0: kind of, like, flop all over the place. And then you finish, you slap the top of the bread on top, and then you get this really nice panning shot of your sandwich. It's <laughs> just, like... A mess. Yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, really funny. And then all your Pokemon, like, eat, you get a shot of them eating the sandwich. That's very cute. It's very cute. It's very silly. Um, but very... It kind of reminded... It reminded me a lot of Jenny Jousha's games, oh, which we've yeah. spoken about before. Um, that kind of silly, like throwing things together. Um, but yeah, so the sandwich making game is That's fun. That's very cute. I rate the sandwich making game. They could release that on its <laughs> own, I think. It'd probably be quite good. Um, yeah, but I guess I was saying to you, I really like this Pokemon game. It still hasn't quite held me like mm. the full way through. I felt myself getting a little like I know what's going to happen and what the gameplay is going to be like for the rest of the game, which sounds dumb because they're all like that. But <laughs> I mean,. I don't mind rep- repetition mm. in playing games. so I'm sort of like why is this one not quite mm. doing it for me? I'm still, I'm still thinking about mm. it because like, I love games like Hades and Exocolonist which mm. is a big long game that you're supposed to play lots and lots of times. Like that doesn't phase me. I quite mm. enjoy that style of game design. So yeah, Pokemon Scarlet, really good but maybe still not maybe still missing something small, which I haven't mm. quite managed to put my finger on. You have to update, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I need to finish it. Maybe maybe I'll change my mind. Yeah. I to finish it. Mm. Maybe I did try and play it really quickly, and so it, it could be that I just burned out, because yeah, I was trying yeah, to be like, okay. yeah. But again, not an experience I had with Exocolonist, which mm. I also played really quickly. So yeah, though, I mean, I played a few other things over the summer, which was really nice, but those two I probably spent mm. the most time sort of teasing apart and seeing how they worked.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I remembered that mm. I wanted to tell you about some spooky games that I've yes, played as well. Yes, because you've been
0: playing some Itch stuff. Yeah. Well. super fun. So I was
1: kind of like, I just want to experiment a bit. And mm. Itch is brilliant because yeah. I got a Humble Bundle forever ago. Yeah. And also there's heaps of free games on there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like a whole bunch of short, like 20 minutes tops games. Yeah. Because like either experimental, they're kind of interesting ideas, or it's people learning how to design a game and like that makes me appreciate all the work that goes into mm-hmm. it. You know, yeah. it's cool. But what I've really found are these spooky, like, like retro games, like, yeah. old school games, but spooky. Mm. So, like, <laughs> the one I found was amazing. was Harvest Festival 64. Yes. Which is speak more yeah, about yeah. this game. <laughs> it's um, Animal Crossing. Yeah. But, like, 64 style. So mm-hmm. very polygon, you know, yeah. very flat color. But scary. And it's honestly, like, maybe 10 15 minute game. Mm-hmm. And you just... You collect things for villagers and things get scary and it's very dark. Like, yeah. And it's just, like, it was a great experience. Yeah. I don't know how to how – I don't want to – because, like, it's so short. You don't want to say what exactly yes, the experience yeah. is like. But it's just a great little spooky, freaky thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's so effective. So yeah. So it's such simple graphics and that. Because um, then I found out that there's – uh, a game, I guess genre mm-hmm. called Haunted PS One. <laughs> and it's all PS1 style. I'm about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is my like, it's digestible yes. horror, right? Yeah. Like it's manageable. Yeah. So it's all like very polygony, very blocky cool. figures, very like maybe blurry textures. Yeah. They sometimes they have the the like videotape the VHS yeah. um, the lines on the screen. And it's really effective. Like yeah. yeah.
0: And the ability to convey fear in such a short amount of time mm. is kind of a feat in itself.
1: Yeah. Sort
0: of, yeah. Is it, do you think it's scary because it's taking, like, a form that you
1: know and twisting it? Oh, or for is, sure. Because as a yeah. kid, you totally got freaked out by Little Things and Games yeah. that, in hindsight, probably weren't that freaky. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, there was there was um, a two in particular, actually. Yeah. There was one called Security Booth mm-hmm. by Carl Howard, and I think it was a free one. Mm-hmm. And that you're, like outside a company in the mm-hmm. um, the security booth that you let the cars in. Yeah. And they're like, let these cars in, but not if they don't match the number plate. Okay. And just spooky things happen, and it's so right. effective. Yeah. It's so simple. But you're stuck in your security booth. Yeah, and you walk outside, and you're like, how far can I go? Okay, mm-hmm. well, there's an invisible wall, just like mm-hmm. it used to be. And like you kind of walk up to things, and you're like, the low-res textures just make a really spooky atmosphere because yeah. you can't see clearly mm-hmm. yeah and there was another one called Last Bus Home by mm-hmm. Magic on Itch and again you're you at a bus stop and there's a creepy guy there, there's a few different endings mm-hmm. and it's just so small and simple but such a spooky experience Yeah, and digestible is the word I tend to use because like I try to play the new Fettle Frame, mm-hmm. and I love it to bits. About yeah. 15 yeah. minutes, and I'm like, oh, my God, I need to have a Stress. life. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I need to wind down now. Yeah. So, like, this, for me, is a great way to explore, like, a bit of horror, a bit of spooky. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it connects to, like, your childhood creepy things that you like yeah, as well. Yeah,
0: because definitely, I mean, we spoke about this a little bit last year, about mm. how, you know, sometimes you play... A game that was really terrifying to you as a child and you're like oh it wasn't that bad i had this experience playing spyro again there were parts of the original because i remember playing it when i was young first spyro game and like the the dogs and toasty and the oh shepherds. they were very scary you know like yeah, yeah. and i just remember being like "Wow!" Ah, and then you play it again and you're like oh like i'm better at playing games mm. than i was now like it's not such an overwhelming feeling but <laughs> yeah maybe the sort of incompleteness of that style or the sort of fact that it kind of had to leave things to your imagination. Mm. left a bigger space for you mm. to speculate. Yeah. I have to play some of these. They sound really cool, especially because I'm a big scaredy cat and <laughs> I feel like 20 minutes is probably good a good amount It's a good amount, right? Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: And heaps of them. You can honestly, you can go on itch, you can sort by mm. free, you can sort by donate, whatever. Yeah. Keywords, tags, everything. It's yeah. There's a lot out there. So yeah,
0: like. I definitely, I really want to check out the Harvest Festival 641 mm. because I think that sounds... Really interesting. I would to ask you more about it, but I'm also like, i just oh, yeah. conscious of spoilers. Because it's yeah. small, you
1: can't give too much away. Like, yeah, no, I
0: totally understand. Totally understand. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I need to broaden my horror game horizon.
1: But I get it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm useless. Mm. <laughs> like, I love them, but I kind of can't do it. Yeah. On my own. But yeah. you
0: is also, I'm like familiar with the Last of Us franchise. It's very difficult not mm. to be, Um, if you're Mm. in any way interested in games because because it was such a big, um, big success. And I've been watching a little bit of the new HBO series with my partner. And literally, I've got to about the same point that I got to in the game, and I was like, it's just, I just feel so stressed. Like, (laughs) Like, so unhappy because I really don't like zombies, um, specifically, (laughs) Um, but yeah. I think it was like the end of the second episode, I was just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. (laughs) Even though I know how it's going to play out. It's yeah. not like there's any surprises waiting for me. But, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it's, 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 I'm a work in progress.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll have to work on our horror fears together. Or we yeah, just supposed to be screaming, being too scared to play. Well, know?
0: I think that's the way through for me, to be honest. It's just to, you know, <laughs> keep going. Um, cool. So we wanted to talk about failure in games. And in part, I think this was sort of prompted by some conversations we had with Nathan yes. um, over in Melbourne. But um, yeah, we wanted to talk about this concept of failure in games. Um, and Sean phrased, when we were talking about this, he mm. phrased the sort of start of this question in a really nice way, which was like, how have we understood failure mm. in games? Or how do we understand the concept of failure when we're playing a game? Which is... Makes the question more interesting, I think. Because there's the easy answer Mm. that you could reach for. It's like, oh, when you don't succeed. Um, But I think when we think about, or at least for me, the word failure comes with a connotation of, like, an end point. Like, the point where something stops. Or, like, whereas there are very few games that I've played where failing has prompted me to put it down. Like, it's not Mm. really... Something that I necessarily will put me off playing a game because failure when you're playing a game is often the point where you go, Oh, why didn't that work? or like, What's a different way I could have done that? sort of rethink and sort of reconvene the resources you have available to you. So, yeah, I mean, as we mentioned before, because failure is such a big part of games, there are quite a few scholars who have. Sort of toyed with this idea mm. of, of what it means when we play games. And um, I know you've done quite a bit of research. Yeah. Um, at, so I wondered if you just wanted to jump in and maybe sure. talk about a little bit of Jasper Jewel, a little bit of <laughs> a few other people.
1: So I went through my notes on the literature I have and mm-hmm. I kind of found a few different themes in how people have understood mm-hmm. failure in games. Um, probably the first one was enjoyment of the failed state. Mm hmm. And Jesper Jewell, I will read this quote out because it's quite a good quote, sure. so bear with me. But Jes- <laughs> Jesper Jewell has a nice explanation for how he understands mm-hmm. it. Is this from his book? Um, I will put this in the reference mm-hmm. list, but I think this is from the conversation piece he had in a journal article. Oh, reflecting cool. on the book. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So he said, My argument is that the paradox of failure is unique in that when you fail in a game, it really means that you were in some way inadequate. Such a feeling of inadequacy is unpleasant for us, And it's odd that we choose to subject ourselves to it. However, while games uniquely induce such feelings of being inadequate, they also motivate us to play more in order to escape the same inadequacy. And the feeling of escaping failure, often Mm -hmm. by improving our skills, is central to the enjoyment of games. Games promise us a fair chance of redeeming ourselves this distinguishes game failure from failure in our regular lives. Because mm-hmm. good games are designed in such a way that they give us a fair chance, Where in the regular world, there are no such promises. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's such a good quote, because yeah. it, it really neatly explains, okay, like, yeah, <laughs> we enjoy it because the difference is in a game we actually have a chance of getting somewhere. Yeah, there's almost again. like a
0: creative, exploratory mm. capacity to failure. It's like, well, if I fail, it's not It's not over. Yeah, exactly. And I think that quote actually, I mean, you know this a little better than me, but I think that quote kind of nicely captures Jules' kind of work Mm. on failure because he has a book Mm. on failure in games. And that, yeah, his perspective is kind of nicely
1: acknowledged in that Mm. quote as well and a few other people said similar things like Mm -hmm. jane mcgonigal who's famous for her book reality is broken Mm -hmm. um she quite succinctly says compared with games reality is hopeless (laughs) (laughs) games eliminate our fear of failure and improve our chances for success Mm -hmm. i'm sure and chick sent me highly he's famous for his flow theory which i am and was a big fan of Mm -hmm. if for him he he would take this perspective that the people enjoy the act itself so mm-hmm. if in games people enjoy the act of play mm-hmm. it doesn't really success and failure doesn't necessarily come into it mm-hmm. but it's the process of play that people really enjoy yes yeah um, so almost yeah it's like
0: that kind of it's almost like a childlike mm. attitude like when you're playing on the playground you're inventing stories they don't succeed or fail mm. they just change direction as you play yeah so, yeah
1: yeah so that was like the first thing I came across mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Shall I go on to more themes? Please or, do. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I
0: was I was ruminating. No, no. no. Yeah. Please
1: jump in if yeah. <laughs> so the other I, I came across was mm-hmm. the use of failure in um, well, I guess as a game and a game mechanic, but also mm-hmm. like w- yeah the narrative tool or a tool yes. of fiction. yeah. Okay, this is my bucket. Yeah. <laughs> so this is gonna be great. great. So yeah. Ronald, I think it's Turkey. Uh-huh. Um, he Um, talks about how the death state, the fail state it can fail to line up with the game's narrative. So when that happens, it's a bit... It's like a dissonance a bit. Mm. Um, They say fictional worlds can become coherent in Mm. a lot of different ways, but the way that the game deals with failure can be a really common issue for Mm -hmm. being like, this doesn't quite make sense in Mm -hmm. terms of the narrative. Um, And in a sense, it's also about the game training the player to behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So like... If they don't do what they're meant to do, they experience the end state, which is a sure. bit like a procedural rhetoric kind of thing. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to do things a certain way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah. What's your what's your yeah? Take
0: on this I bit? mean, I, I we like a a form of game that always really appeals to me is games where you fail, and that is part of the experience of playing the mm-hmm. game. Um, probably less of a dissonance, but rather a sort of using that failure as an opportunity to. Say something about what's happening in the game. Um, obviously, like Hades is one of my favorites. Mm. is a good example of that. Like when you fail, it doesn't mean you've totally failed. Um, they sort of take that aspect of the Vogue genre, which usually failure is a reset, and use it to kind of uh, mean that you can only really explore your like family dynamics and learn things and acquire new stuff by failing a lot. Mm. Failure is kind of integral to the experience of playing that game but the game you know another super giant title that does that is pyre also where failure rather than when you fail rather than being thrown back to the start like you are in hades the story just continues um and something about that mode of design i just find really satisfying um and i'm trying to think of Games where failure has has been like a, a dissonance for me, mm. but the ones that more eagerly like come to my mind are the ones where I've failed and it's resulted in something interesting yeah. happening, and maybe that sort of connects um, this kind of way of thinking about failure with someone like Jewel, um, mm-hmm. in the sense that like there's sort of it rewards a kind of exploratory attitude to what's happening in the world or maybe understanding the world through not always feeling like you have to overcome it, mm. but sometimes you have to not overcome the world in order to succeed. Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing things out. But <laughs> no, that is thoughtful, yeah. Yeah. I think um, that was something that I really liked about Exocolonist was that I'm trying not to spoil the game too much, mm. though it is difficult. Um, <laughs> it is difficult when you love something and you're just like, blah, I just want to worry about it all about it. But, like in that game you know it it's not it's not blind to the history of colonialism Mm. let's put it that way it's not uh there's no fantasy of the colonial um that's really truly present in that Mm. game because you sort of the rather than being like a military or political mission you're kind of part of a hippie commune Mm. and they're leaving earth because they have a dream that's actually inspired by a science fiction novel that's in the world um, that mm. they're sort of pursuing. And and it's sort of, you kind of come to understand it because you're a child, so it takes a little bit of work, but a lot of the people in the colony are people who might have been considered criminals in like on Earth because they were sort of resisting a certain status quo of being.
1: Interesting. Um, but like not, a rebel story. Yeah, it, it mm. is a little
0: bit more of a sort of rebellious, almost like pirate story <laughs> if, if that would even be the right phrase but despite that it also acknowledges that even though these are people who um, are trying to overcome some of Earth's failings they're still from Earth mm. um, and they still carry with them some of their like uh, political uh, feelings or you know uh, desiring to control the environment and mm. something that I found rewarding while playing is that the game, there there are paths you can follow where unintentionally or not you might end up sort of fulfilling a more sort of like controlling, dominating um, mode of living with this planet. But probably the nicest ones is kind of they ask you, Well, what if you fail, you know, to mm. to conquer the environment? What 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 else is there if, if What's the alternative? Yes, like, yeah. yeah. If if you fail that, then what is better? And then that way Yeah, it just kind of allows itself to explore ideas in a less kind of because even like I'm thinking parts of this game remind me a little bit of Mass Effect Andromeda, Mm. which also some people had some like tensions with because it didn't really interrogate Mm. what it means to travel to another place and set up shop and you know do all that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, whereas this one. Perhaps because it wasn't—it's not an open-world game, so like moving through the environment and gathering resources and all that—it's sort of less of a. Um, there's less of an impetus to do that. Maybe, yeah. maybe the genre itself gave it a bit more space to be a bit more reflective. Yeah, I'm waffling so much. No, no, no I'm enjoying <laughs> this. It's interesting.
1: It's interesting. Um,
0: but yeah, I think maybe that's somewhere in between. Yeah, um, and Jules' kind of mm. ideas about. One is sort of like a creative space, mm. um, and other ones is one that can actually function as part of a game's or the experience of a game's narrative in a good or bad way. It's interesting
1: one other way to think about mm. it I had written down is completion, and I'm like, it's a different mm. way of thinking it. It's a bit more binary idea. Yeah. But the idea that failure is a way to, to actually complete the game. And here he I yes. was thinking about you know, dating sims have like good endings and bad yes, endings. Yeah. You want to get all the endings, right? Yeah. Same with like, there's games I've played where I was like, I'm pretty sure I'll get an achievement if I jump onto this cliff. And Harris was like, no, and I did not I <laughs> totally got the achievement. I was like, th- yeah. there's a few games, actually more, about three games that's happened. I yeah. was like, watch this. I'm Do pretty you know sure what? something's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, we can't avoid talking about Genshin a little bit, but there is a chest in Inazuma and you have to jump off a ledge to get it. Fantastic, I'm yeah. on it. <laughs> and I was very pleased when I was like, you can see the chest, but there's no way to unlock it. And I think I accidentally ran off the cliff because that's the thing that happens. But yeah, so I there you it's, go. A fun, it's a fun mechanic. Yeah, I this thought came to mind as well mm-hmm. um, because Exocolonist explores these ideas of failure really nicely, but it still is... Very visual novely, which means there are like artworks and things you can collect yeah. for different events.
1: Um, and it's and beautiful watercolors designs, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 and
0: sort of like to get them all, you do have to do badly, which is kind of interesting. But it's still a completing. Yeah. T- very mechanic. visual. So, novel. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I was thinking we played uh, Monster Camp. Yes. Um, over the summer, which was really fun. It's
1: so fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love those games. I never played them. Before you mm. were like, you should try these. And <laughs> I played Monster Prom and then we played Monster Camp mm. together. It was really fun. But that too is like, you get a picture for being rejected. Yeah. And I mostly a, have
1: rejection <laughs> pictures. I went through them afterwards and I was like, wow, well, is the only one who's actually succeeded. I mean, okay,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, meant to date Reapers and, and such. <laughs> It's my type. <laughs> um, yeah. But it is interesting because it is failing but is it really? Not really. Yeah. If the
1: ultimate goal is completion it's part yeah. of the goal. Yeah. I guess yeah.
0: It's, a, it's a goal thing. It's like mm. why do you play? Which I think Jewel talks a little bit. He mm. kind of tries to like contend with that idea as well. It's like why do we want to play things that mm. sort of punish us a little bit?
1: And I guess the difference is that in like most games you, like, you lose your lives you have to over again or whatever but in a mm-hmm. visual novel that has multiple endings or collectible things yeah. it's built into the system that failing isn't really failing, failing.
0: Like, yes, that's actually yeah. built
1: in now, whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, if it was in a different style of game, it would literally be game over. Yeah. And that, yeah.
0: There is, so, if, yeah, actually, maybe we'll come back to this, but there's yeah. a really, um, there's a conversation between Jesper Jewell and um, Jack Halberstam, who we'll get to mm-hmm. um, a little bit, but in that conversation, Jewell talks, he touches on, like, the idea of, like, a hedonism, which I also think he talks about mm-hmm. in his book, where he's, like, well... It's like a perspective that, like, pleasure is not necessarily the most important thing for human existence. It's an idea that he kind of like toys mm. with there, and which is kind of an interesting one. Whether mm. like games uh, sort of capture like a bit more of a variation in, mm. in what we get out of life, perhaps, or what is meaningful to us in life. But yeah, we can come
1: back to that. Sure, we're yeah. going to
0: talk about Harvest Dam.
1: More, I think. Well, I'll quickly mention another uh, yeah. one that's yeah, yeah. A, a kind of Keep a side going. piece, mm-hmm. and then we can come back to. So, another one was competitiveness and difficulty mm-hmm. in terms of family and games, mm-hmm. which is probably what we're quite familiar with, like toxic communities and shit. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> um, I don't know if in Turkey kind of were talking about. Um, how players attribute failure to others Mm -hmm. um, and toxicity is kind of afforded by game design. I could talk about this for the end of time. Please. (laughs) So, you know, if you think about, like, League of Legends or Overwatch Mm -hmm. or whatever, right, it's kind of like, oh, well, I failed because you didn't heal me enough. Sure, yeah. Or we failed because these people weren't playing as part of the team in the way we are directed to or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's that kind of, like... You don't want to see personal failure, so it's all you can base on other people. Yeah, sure. And Christopher Paul, who I'm a huge fan of, mm-hmm. has a fantastic book mm-hmm. um, about why um, video games are toxic meritocracies. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes, I thought this was really interesting. I'm um, big so fan, please, yeah. Yeah, please elaborate. <laughs> so I'll read this out this report. quote
1: that I picked out because I thought it was quite succinct. Yeah. He said, Video games are a place where the abstract ideology of meritocracy is actualized and solidified. In a broader context, meritocratic narratives cover up structural inequality and personalised responsibility to make each individual appear to be responsible for his or own success or failure, resulting in recognition by critics that meritocracy functions more like a myth than as a coherent ideology. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is that, like, if you, like, it talks a lot about Overwatch, mm-hmm. and at the time I was playing a fair bit of it, so I was like, yeah, I can kind of get this. Yeah. It's sort of like, we all have the same, like we're on the same playing field mm. so we all have the chance to be great and if you don't put in the work to get better skilled or whatever yeah. that's your failing and we can basically be mean to you and yes. put you down for that mm. is kind of the gist yeah. of it yeah um and Jesper an Jewel. Individualistic yeah, of it is. Game. And it's a team game, right? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> that is really interesting, yeah. And um and then kind of bouncing off that, Jesper Jewel talks a lot about more casual, and I say this with the air quotes, because as we all know, it's yeah. hard to define Ladi Da. Yeah. More casual games not being as punishing mm-hmm. in terms of failures, and then you have these competitive, especially competitive multiplayer yes, games being yeah. quite different in that sense. Yeah.
0: Um if anyone's interested. At home, Sean <laughs> has some really excellent papers on Overwatch and the kind of reward system
1: Thank you. of Overwatch,
0: so highly recommend you look at Ox.
1: If you can't access you. it, just email me. <laughs> or find <laughs> it in Happy special, in special <laughs> places that we know about. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I mean,
1: hmm.
0: I enjoyed Overwatch when I played it, but there's also like, I feel like it's very good at making you feel very stressed, and perhaps that. Oh, adds it's horrible! To. I stopped it's playing. M- maybe it's the like short, like temporality of each match that heightens yeah. your experience. I don't blink. Or it resists. <laughs> it resists like some efforts to collaborate because it's so quick. Yeah. You kind of just have to know where you need you to You kind
1: of have to use voice chat, which I'm like, no, because <laughs> let's not open that can of worms. Mm. And I think, like I literally don't blink. Mm. Like I get dry eyes because I don't mm. <laughs> every Focus time I, I play, because yeah. it's so fast paced. And yeah. I, I enjoy playing with friends because we kind of, well, we can have voice chat on mm-hmm. and I can be like, hey, what do you want me to do? Or what should I do in this situation? And we'll cor- cooperate a bit more, but <laughs> it is yeah. really, it, I mean, especially if you think that you jump... Again, it's it's funny because as a team game, you're playing as an independent person. Mm-hmm. So it's very neoliberal. Yeah. And you're like, okay... And especially if you play competitive, you're all out there to win, but mm. it's for your own personal, individual yes. yeah. uh, fame or something, mm-hmm. say. So. so, like, you want to cooperate, but really you want to make sure you end up on top. It's it's interesting. Yeah,
0: if you don't mind yeah. me asking, just because it's not that I haven't, but you've played a lot more MMOs. Than I have mm. over time, and a lot of different kinds of mm. MMOs. And I remember you talking a little while ago about how, like, Final Fantasy mm. had quite a nice, way nicer. community of play. And I wonder, sorry, I'll put you on the spot. Do you think there's, I don't know, what stands out to you in Overwatch compared to some of the other MMOs you played? Even like Fallout seventy six, because that's a yeah. shooter as well. Even if it's more of a narrative. I think that
1: I think. Game. It, I think often like Overwatch, League of Legends or them, mm. they call them like, I think the term is like competitive online multiplayer mm-hmm. games. Yep. So it's teams versus each other, yep. someone's got to win, it's mm-hmm. pretty fast paced and yep. then you get points or whatever. Yep. These MMOs aren't like that. Yeah. it's. Like the the it's not competitive in sure, the same way. Yeah. I haven't played PVP Final Fantasy, so mm-hmm. I don't really can't really comment on that. Yeah. Um, and actually Fallout seventy six, mm-hmm. I haven't got to the PVP area. Yeah, okay. But again, they're optional. Mm-hmm. Those competitive moments are only sure. if you want to do them. Yeah. So I I think the key difference is is how competitive the actual game design is, mm-hmm. and okay, what sure. the reason is you're actually doing like. Like, when you do a dungeon or a raid in Mm -hmm. Final Fantasy, we're a team working together to get to the end. Yeah. Like, we want to help each other. Mm -hmm. We want to ask questions or be like, hey, like, when this mechanic happens, you should run Mm -hmm. over there. We want to do that. Whereas when it's, like, teams fighting each other and it's so fast-paced. Yeah. it's, It's... I, it's only about beating the other team.
0: And there's no space for that dialogue. No, not really. really. About, like, how to get things.
1: I think down. not a huge amount. I think, like, obviously you can have audio chat. Yeah, and if you play course. with people, you know, you can, yeah. like, plan stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like people are... It's, very, it's a very individualistic, mm. individualistic style of yeah. play. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, I think I think Christopher Paul's work is very mm. compelling. And I think... Yeah, I did think it's it speaks to a particular experience of playing games or a particular form of mm. games perhaps, but also a kind of, mm, an aspect of game design that is almost like a legacy piece, like the merit, like succeeding, yeah. winning, failing. Yeah, I think that's, that's interesting because I think mm. even in games that you know, resist that meritocracy. Perhaps, like, a game like Colonist, it's still there, like, mm. and it's there in maybe, like, the collectible artworks and stuff like that. I'm not saying this in a good or bad way, just mm. that, um, yeah, even games that seek to distance themselves from that kind of success. Oh, for sure. Like,
1: if you think of Final Fantasy, like, maybe you can look in your profile mm. and you can be like, oh, like, I've they succeeded in this raid yeah. or they've got to this level and whatever. I feel like the difference... Is like I worked as part of a team to beat sure. this hard thing yeah. versus I'm just the best Mercy player, player. <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever, the, sure. whatever it is. Yeah. And the team comp, there's always, you know, that what we say mm. the Genshin meta. There's always people being like, oh well, Zenyatta is not viable right now, and I was like, well then I'm not going to play because I love him, <laughs> like you know, like yeah. and I always played like May. I loved Mae, but a lot mm-hmm. of people hated Mae, like with a burning passion. Mm-hmm. It was not good. Um and Zan and um Diva or whatever. And like there's a lot of like the meta of being like, Oh well these characters should go together, mm-hmm. so you've gotta pick things that work with me and all this kind of dialogue yeah. as well. So yeah. Mm.
0: I can complain about Bennett here. This is an like, excellent Oh, my <laughs> baby Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, I mean, I guess the most, at, at the moment, the most, like, meta-driven game I play is, is Genshin. Mm. And there's a character called Bennett who's just good at everything. Um And something, you know, like, he's good at buffing your characters, he's good at mm. healing your characters, all this kind of stuff. And because every single like meta player is like yeah this character goes great with Bennett I'm like oh really I'm so shocked I'm to hear this so I like deliberately avoided building this character <laughs>
1: so he was actually my first character I know yes, Yeah, so I lucky. was like I, okay oh, do
0: you know what maybe it's partially because I never got him also until like really recently and every like guy would be like this character goes with Bennett and I'd be like oh great That's for people who have Bennett also
1: I think I also is, this is the thing as well. Mm. I go by like the look of the character Like, the Zenyatta thing, I just love the idea that he's a yogi android that's fun. Yeah, that is fun. And I just love it. He's super unlucky, and his icons are thumbs up, and it's just (laughs) this, like, I love it. And he's got, like, a kind of cute,
0: almost like Kingdom Hearts kind of style. Yeah, everyone hates him. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, that's part of me. I mean, he does wear cargo shorts, and
1: (laughs) maybe that's admirable
0: in a fantasy (laughs) world, where you could wear...
1: And, he, stuff, and but even he's an interesting example of failure, right? Because mm. he's so unlucky. Yeah. In the story, the idea is that he literally keeps failing. He blows himself up in his attack. Yeah. And hold it long. And again, and he's just the thumbs up meme is such a thing. Yeah. And I kind of, I think that has a special place in my heart. The yeah. idea that he keeps failing, and keeps blowing up, and he's just smiling with a thumbs up just gives me something. It <laughs> is an
0: interesting kind of like playful because he's such a. Valuable character mm. in the Genshin Meadow in so many different ways, but is kind of like cursed <laughs> at the same time to have always bad luck. Yeah, I think that's kind of. fun. I always mm. like the sorry, I'm I'm really good at derailing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the they've got like Bennett and then they've also got Klee who's like born lucky and she carries uh, around bombs. So and that explains like how mine. she's still alive, basically. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, that's quite good. Well, did we want to talk a little bit about? Bunny, did you want to touch on yes. Bonnie Ruberg?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll just, I heard of only a little bit, but I think, yeah. Heather, you're really well acquainted. Ah. Better acquainted than me, I think. <laughs> I've read a book. <laughs> <Okay>. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Bonnie Ruberg uh, wrote a book called Playing mm-hmm. to Lose: The Queer Art of Failing at Video Games, mm-hmm. which is like, which Nathan, I think, introduced us to. Yes, yeah. This is,
0: we were talking, so Nathan Jackson, we mm. went and did a talk in Melbourne last year with him. He's a researcher at University of New South Wales, and um, we were talking about failure, and he was like, "You should read mm. this essay," and yeah, so we did.
1: Yeah, and like I think the first question I had was like, "What does queering games mean?" Because yes. yeah. I don't, Let's I know. Let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah, because like I was saying to Heather, like I know queer in a specific understanding, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "What? I don't know what you mean." Mm-hmm. So there's this really nice paragraph that I think is mm-hmm. so succinct, mm-hmm. and I've highlighted it in my Evernote. Sure. And she says, the individuals who identify as queer might see themselves as defying heterosexual norms in any number of ways, through sexuality, gender queerness, non-mainstream relationship styles, and so on. And queerness isn't just confined to the flesh. More abstractly, queerness means both desiring differently which is a bit of a Deleuzean thing. And, <laughs> and simply being differently. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, playing differently. Mm. A longing to live life otherwise. A resistance to social structures and an embrace of the strange. Mm. So she kind of really nicely on that on that page explains yeah. we don't we're not actually just talking about sexuality and stuff. Yes. We're talking about doing things differently.
0: Which I think is really important. And we were both saying that we really liked that Ruberg made the effort to explain what they meant, yeah, by the use of this term, because on the one hand, like this whole discussion, of, like diversity in mm. games, and you know, the representation of LGBT people mm. in games is sort of one, but that's they're kind of going a little f- deeper, mm. um, yeah. And as we were talking about before, you know, I think it's important because the word queer is used a lot in academic texts. Yes, um, it's and it, and it is sort of shorthand for a particular thing which Ruberg I think explains well but you know I also feel that you know for some people queer is a really liberating Mm -hmm. phrase but for others you know it's a really difficult and frustrating one because it may not be it may, not, it may be a word that's applied to them um, and that, you know, queer has been used as a slur mm. historically and not everyone wants to reclaim it for themselves. Some of them want to see it go away. Um, and both these kind of opinions exist. Mm. So I think Rubik having a really clear, like, this is how I'm... It's very helpful. <laughs> yeah, this is how I'm going to use the term queer to talk about video games is a really nice
1: thing. Mm. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially, like, when I read that, I was like, oh, I've understood it differently in all the other things Mm -hmm. I've read. So then I think, okay, well, how are they meaning to use it? Yes, and that's just
0: it. I think that's important um, to not just use the term without explaining what you mean. Mm. Um, Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, because I... Can I jump in? (laughs) Oh, please do. Please do. Um, Yeah, because this... When we were, like, talking about doing this episode probably the text that I spend the most time on was this essay of Ruberg's, um, which is inspired by Jack Halperstam's The Queer Art of mm. Failure, which doesn't speak to video games, but which Ruberg found useful, enlightening for thinking about um, queerness in video games. And I think for both these, Writers, a short sort of the way I understood how they were both thinking about queerness in a really shorthand way was kind of as an alternative to a heteronormative status quo of existing or a particularly like binary way of being this or mm. that, um, which which was good. I I still so both both of these texts talk about queerness and failure mm. and almost queerness as being a failure, which. I, I confess, like, this is more of a personal thing, sometimes I felt a little bit resistant to, because I was like, well, do you, I mean, does it have to be a failure? Like, does that word have to be used? But I, I mm-hmm. understand why it is being used, to. I'm not saying it's not correct,
1: but... It, it's tricky, because you're like, mm-hmm. I understand the social, cultural structure over time has, if, if you view it in a binary yes. way, it has classed that as being a yeah. failure, but can we break out of that structure now, and yes. be like, do we need to still think of it that way?
0: Yeah, I, I felt, you know, like, and this, like, i Think both of these writers have done really good mm, work. Mm. It was more of like a personal, like really, like does yeah. But yeah. but something that Stem does say, which I found really useful, is they acknowledge that. The language that is required to mm. sort of reframe certain like cultural things is not always accessible mm. to us, and sometimes we have to do it through words that may not quite work. And I thought that was that was actually from a conversation they had with Jesper Juhl. Oh, that actually. one. Yes. um And I thought that was it was nicely articulated. I'm doing a hodgepodge job of repeating it, but the idea was that sometimes we have to try on,
1: sometimes we have to fail at explaining
0: failure, yeah. and that was kind of nice. I mean, um, it's nice
1: because it also acknowledges, like, we're trying to use language as a tool to communicate some not something, yeah. and, like, as we all know, communication varies, it's subjective, blah-dee-da, blah. like, it's just, it's not as simple as getting, <laughs> figuring out exactly the perfect way to explain something the first time, right? yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think, um, so, I mean, there there is a book on, like, queerness in video games that is relatively recent, which we can pop in mm. there, um, what do we call them? Reference list. <laughs> like, what's that word I'm looking for? We'll um, put them in the show notes for the episode. Um, but it is like quite a—it's a fairly lively area of study. Um, and yeah, I think for both these writers, one talking about video games, one not, as we said, they sort of see failure or queer failure as this almost not necessarily resistance, but in some ways a, a resistance to mm. a, a status quo of being. Um, or alternatively, and I think this is what Halberstam is really working on, is that you know if succeeding in a certain status quo is harmful, whether that's to like the environment or to the other people, then failure, which we're sometimes a bit concerned by, is actually necessary and more pr- provocative. Mm. Because by failing at a system that is, not right we actually might be led to other ways of being Mm. um and they say their big claim is that someone might actually want to fail because they're dissatisfied with a particular Mm. social context and that's kind of like what they describe as like the big claim of uh their book um and they also suggest that failing deliberately and failing with sort of a bit of joy, like falling mm. in the mud and laughing about it, rather mm. than being upset by it, can can help to expose some of the harmful contradictions we depict success as. Mm. And one of the early examples they use in their book is um, Little Miss Sunshine, which I don't know if you've seen oh, that Oh, I film. love Little Miss Sunshine! Yeah, yes. and in that there's I mean, I haven't seen that film for a long time, but I did love it when so I watched good. it. It's a lot of fun. And they talk about sort of the scene towards the end where Olive, it's Olive, right, yeah. it's the main character, she... Does she goes to this beauty pageant, um, <laughs> and she's sort of the whole way through the film is sort of self-aware that there's a certain standard for this beauty pageant that she isn't, or there's a certain she's a wacky kid. She's a wacky kid, oh, yeah. and the identity that is required yeah. to perform, she is not. Like she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't fit, um, and it. She, I think Halverson kind of says, we get to the end of the film, and she does her sort of. Hilarious sexy dance, dance that, that her, gr- <laughs> her grandfather who's dead in the boot of the car taught her and it's it kind of draws attention to how silly the whole sort of pageantry mm. is of of self and beauty and all that kind of thing but it's also i mean for me at least the scene is not meant to be embarrassing it's quite freeing no it's and great a lot of you watch
1: it going like good on you yes <laughs> yeah it's sort of
0: so so it fails so spectacularly that it actually sort of leads you to think about a different way of being than, mm. than the beauty pageant. Anyways, good film if you've watched it. But it was a nice example that I thought, um, mm. yeah, sort of illustrated Halberstam's point throughout yeah. the book. They use a lot of, like, they talk about Chicken Run. And it, Big it, fan of Chicken Run. <laughs> <laughs> I was very
1: excited. There was Chicken Run in mm. another one. I was like, I just love how much they love it.
0: But yeah. Yes, yeah. There's a lot of joy in Halberstam's writing. And also, this is a side note, but I realized they have written a book called Gaga Feminism. And I was like, how have I not heard of this? Because I love Lady Gaga so much. Like... Yeah, so that's I was like immediately Perfect checking that one out of the library. Um, but basically Ruberg's essay, because we've talked a lot about Halberstam, Halberstam doesn't in that in that book it's not really about games, I suppose. Um, although a lot of the ideas you probably apply, but mm. Rüberg basically builds upon Halberstam's work and suggests that because games are really good. Um, at expressing the experience of failure, which we've kind of talked about in the context of a few other authors that you know the entire medium has the potential to explore this kind of queer art of failure, this mm. kind of resistance to the status quo, or this um, sort of I guess repositioning of the of our sort of relationship to failure as being a more positive experience. and mm. I think like in something as Maybe, like, you could talk about a game like Hades that wants you to fail. Mm. For example, Mm. as being, you know, a game that thinks about the moment of failure and whether or not it's a positive or negative experience and Mm. what comes out of failure as well as what comes out of success. Um, Yeah. Do you want me to keep... (laughs) No, please, please. Um, And I thought, yeah, I think Ruberg's work is really interesting. And I... And it's worth a read. And I was still... Because some of this... Like Ruberg's work is new mm. to me, obviously, and so I was still like, kind of working through their ideas and mm. being like, okay, like how how do you, how does this fit into my knowledge and how do I understand it? Um, and recently, I actually came across an essay written about HBO's Last of Us yes. TV series by Nino McQuown. Is that yes? I'm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, McQuown wrote this essay and they don't explicitly reference Ruberg or Halberstam but I felt like perhaps there's a similar or an aligned kind of idea. Um, And Raquan was a big player of the original Last of Us game and they sort of talk about the sort of masculine sort of post-apocalyptic fantasy of like Joel Mm -hmm. as a character as sort of the sort of stern father figure. Um, And this essay that they wrote kind of is Hopeful that the television series is actually not an identical mm. replica to the game. We can talk about. I mean, you haven't watched it yet, but something I found really interesting about, uh, I guess, reception to the series is the amount of people who are like, "Oh, it's exactly the same as the game," and I feel like that's kind of an interesting response. It's like so, yeah. like, oh, the, the on like Twitter and stuff, people will grab screen grabs of like the original game on and and a scene from the. Uh, show which is identical which is kind of kind of interesting but mm. it, it, i found it intriguing how it was almost as if that was its
1: sort of standard for being good oh yeah it's very much seen as like how accurate is it to the source material right yeah i think in fandoms in general this is a really big thing
0: yeah i just thought because i thought it was interesting because they have changed a little bit at least mm-hmm. about how the characters present themselves but it's, I mean, when you watch it, what okay. I found really interesting, actually, it was the lighting was very, like, of a specific era of, like, okay. video game lighting. Like, the lighting in the show is kind of game lighting. And there's a few interesting shots where you, like, see, you watch characters over their shoulder as if you would be oh, playing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 an interest, there's, there's a lot to think about. <laughs> um... But yeah, McCrown's essay reflects on the original ending to The Last of Us game where Joel does something that a lot of players felt dissatisfied mm. with. That they maybe like almost like lost control of Joel in that moment because yep. he goes and does something that maybe after spending all this time playing this character, maybe went against some people's like moral mm. beliefs. Um, and McCrown talks about how Ellie, who is specifically someone who is interested in women, mm-hmm. and that is clearly communicated by the narrative. So in like, Halstam and Rubik's, we can, McCran mm. says, you know, Ellie is a queer character. Mm. So we're using it in in that context. Um, and they sort of talk about how the fact that Ellie is queer kind of fades into the background of the second game because Ellie just becomes the new Joel. She kind of yeah. replaces
1: his role. I feel like in, mm, it's been a while since I played it. Mm. I feel like in the second game, I mean, she clearly has a partner and stuff. Mm. But, yeah. I can't, but in the gameplay, it's not a thing, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Yeah, mm. I think that's kind of what they're touching on. That like, so, And this is where I thought they were kind of reflecting on Halber, an idea that is very similar to Is They say their favourite moment of The Last of Us is the moment between the game and the inevitable sequel where the fiction of the violent father's goodness falls
1: apart
0: Mm. Um, and they sort of suggest that if Ellie is queer then that leaves a potential for like anything to happen and that maybe something sort of something new that she might fail at fulfilling the role of the protagonist and actually sort of create something new and that you know like at the end of the world queerness might offer different investments in the narratives of the past and other ideas of inheritance and right. it's kind of sent from the idea that if Ellie is queer she might not reproduce in a heteronormative way. I never thought way. about this
1: because when she's immune mm. yeah okay to so the virus I mean yeah, yeah and she
0: talks about how some players were like oh you know what Joel did at the end of the game they didn't agree with but perhaps yeah. if Ellie is immune and she reproduces uh, in a sort of heteronormative mm. way then she passes on the immunity that way whereas McQuown was kind of like, well, what would have maybe been an interesting sort of direction for the If Feli is queer, maybe she sort of passes on her immunity through, or her immunity can lead her to, like, reforming the way that the society works, or maybe mm. just exploring an alternative vision of the future of the narrative. This is all kind of, like, a speculative idea, but yeah. they're just saying... That, I guess, almost a sense of disappointment in that Ellie became the violent protagonist, regardless of her queerness, I guess. Um,
1: Mm.
0: But yeah. So much to unpack. Yes, yeah. 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 They sort of suggest that, you know, Ellie succeeds at being the post-apocalyptic game protagonist. She succeeds in fulfilling that role Mm. in the second game. But it might have been more interesting if she'd failed to actually be... Violent or sort of right th- to sort of like take on Joel's role in her sort of like quest
1: for vengeance. It's so and interesting like that. too because if then if they have like this female character mm-hmm. become the protagonist and be like, oh well, because she's a woman, she doesn't want to commit violence. You know that would cause problems. I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. I'm What I'm thinking is how is this just the unpicking stereotypes thing where I'm like, yeah. what is the correct? And I say correct your air quotes. Is mm-hmm. there a correct answer? Yeah, because I feel like if it depends how you communicate it and like how much you build up the character and Mm. if you can explain why they're doing the things they're doing. But I feel yeah, I feel like if we took it, if I took that at face value Mm. and she went, Oh, I don't want to do violence, I'd be like, okay, but is it because you she's a woman that you're saying she can't be violent. But then of course there's the whole game, the second game is literally violence begets violence. That's the whole message of the game. So then you could be like, well maybe yeah, it's about being uh, zooming out enough to say this is actually crazy and we need to stop it, whatever, whatever. Yeah, I think yeah. I
0: found I essay because it was it asked these really speculative mm. questions about something that I just hadn't really cons- reflected on at all. Well, before. it makes me think of
1: more questions, I suppose, which yes. just means it's effective. And I like,
0: thought it was yeah. ex- the exact line of questioning that I think in some ways Halberstam is asking people mm. to do in their book is be like, well, what if... You know, what if not, you know, someone who the doesn't subscribe mm. or can't subscribe to a particular mode of being? What if instead of being a failure or what if they do fail and but we don't see it as a failure? Mm. No, nah, I'm waffling. But I just thought in terms of thinking about it in the context of video games, this essay really kind of was like, OK, well, like, well what if? Mm. What if? What if? It's quite speculative, I think. Um yeah, and it's interesting what you say, too, because you're right, from a community perspective, because this was the thing I was thinking mm. as well. I was like, perhaps part of the reason Ellie is violent in the second game is because that is the gameplay. Like, that's the game mechanic. Also,
1: she's growing up in the environment. She's mega traumatized, la-di-da. Yes. But yeah, there's so many and factors that come into That's something that was this. interesting,
0: especially watching the TV show, because I was like, in the TV show, it doesn't shy away from saying, like, the society that has been built in the aftermath mm. of this um, huge uh, epidemic, pandemic, mm kind of is shit, like, no one's happy, like, <laughs> no. everyone is just kind of, like, surviving, and I think, in a way, McCrown was like, well, what if Ellie's purpose was to change that, like, mm. to make, and she sort of was like, you know, what if she used her immunity to sort of change the way that people interacted with people infected with cordyceps? Mm. What if, what if her ability to navigate both spaces actually Changed
1: the sort of like that's an interesting question because it is still it's still very separate, right? Yeah, like it's still like well, we're human. I happen to be immune, which is great. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: almost like because she perhaps I don't know because she at the point of the second game hasn't passed on her immunity to mm. generations following. she hasn't done the matriarchal act of passing on, of
1: course. then yeah.
0: her immunity is kind of rendered mute, like it's not as important but I think what McQuan is saying was like well what if it still was mm. but not in, in the way that we might expect or at the way that the game might initially lead us to think but yeah, I will pop the link to that in the show notes too because yeah. I, it's also just a really well written mm. sort of piece um, and I really enjoyed that but I think, yeah that was and her the the conclusion of McCown is that, um, you know, they hope that maybe the show pushes mm. against that a little more or uses its sort of like the space it has as a TV show to maybe explore a bit of the texture of the world of The Last of Us a bit more and be a bit more reflective. But who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was fine. Lots that was of my proof rant, of but thought. I, but I think, um, in some ways, yeah. That in terms of that, we talked about a few different like modes of thinking about failure and games. Yeah, and for I sure. think that essay is was a good
1: compliment to yeah. to
0: help work.
1: Yeah. So to finish up, maybe we'll talk about some like fun. Yeah, yeah. Or like thought
0: provoking moments of failure. Even yeah. if the thoughts
1: were, haha, this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um maybe I'll start us off with one of these. Yeah, examples. yeah, go for it. So there's one I heard of a while ago and mm-hmm. this is in World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. And there was someone who played a Pandaren mm-hmm. and they got to level ninety just by picking flowers.
0: I this is like that show. Um about the girl who hunts slimes that you sent. Me. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. It's got a real long title. It's, it's a very like long I got title. I got to max level by only killing slimes or yeah, something. That's yeah. That's this
0: person. But with flowers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so in, in when you're Pandaren in World mm. you play along in Pandaria mm. and then you have to choose a faction, so Alliance mm-hmm. or Horde. So instead of doing that, this player, this character called Double Agent, mm-hmm. <laughs> they reach level 110 Mm -hmm. by picking flowers in Wandering Isle, and they estimated it took them about 8,000 hours. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And there was an interview I'll put in the references. um, And what he had to say was, when I heard that pandaren started out as neutral, I was curious if Mm -hmm. I could somehow reach max level without choosing a faction. Mm -hmm. Once I discovered that there were herb and mining nodes on the island, I knew it was possible, because (laughs) that contributes to your overall level. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, in response to this, because it got really popular, mm-hmm. he had, like, a Twitch, a YouTube, everything. Mm-hmm. And Blizzard ended up adding an NPC called Venerable Shaman mm-hmm. who wore the same outfit as Double Agent. Mm-hmm. And um, he walks around wandering Isle, gathering, mm-hmm. doing mining. Yeah. Her, her, her. And And I thought it was kind of interesting because they didn't reach out to tell mm-hmm. that they had done this. This is like, There's a whole... I don't want to get into it, but there's a whole conversation about you can have about how... Um, I guess, game companies, and particularly for MMOs, Mm. do and don't engage with the players. Yes. It's very interesting. Um, And now he's working on getting to the next max level cat. Mm. So good for him. (laughs) Still still out there. Yeah. He has flowers. Yeah. This is very, like,
0: yeah. This this is... Failure is almost a resistance to the system, which is really interesting. And it's... But it's, like, not even really resisting the system. It's just, like doing something. Doing something different. Yeah, doing something your own
1: way. And there's other ones I found, I think on Reddit I first heard Mm. that someone played Skyrim and they're like, I'm gonna be a farmer in Skyrim. Um, and I had a look, I looked it up because yeah. I, re- I remembered it, and what I found was I don't know if this is the original guy or not, mm-hmm. but Jacoby like YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and he has life in Skyrim as a farmer, uh, a merchant, alchemist, miner, yeah. beggar, all kinds. I love this. And like if you go yeah. on Reddit, there are heaps of people talking about like yeah. their experience of trying this out, and I guess. In a way, it's maybe failure, but maybe not. maybe mm-hmm. more this is the querying thing. It's like, what if I did it differently? Yes, like, what if I did yeah. it not the way it was designed to do it? Mm-hmm. And people get a real kick out of it. and yeah. I think you you're 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 playing the system, right mm-hmm. you're playing with the game system to try to do it a different way, yeah. which I find really it's fun and interesting. Yeah. I,
0: I absolutely love this like aspect of Skyrim as a game. <laughs> I think it's really beautiful how even still people use it as a sandbox mm. to explore so many different ideas, despite the fact that on the books it's like an open world mm. RPG and is a very very influential open world RPG that has inspired so many others. But like players use it in these interesting mm. and creative ways. Yeah. Yeah. It also has one of the funniest like self failure like experiences, like when you're um, when you do a critical hit on mm. someone in Skyrim, it gives you this slow-mo, like, oh, yes. of you, like, you know, landing <laughs> your incredible blow. But sometimes, because it's Skyrim, you will actually miss. So you just get, like, a slow motion of you failing. It's a little bit like the sandwich mechanic in Pokemon. You just mm. get a panning shot of how bad you are at making sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have I have a real, like, love for Skyrim that way. Because... Mm. Yeah, I mean, as a player, I'm a, someone who played so much Skyrim but never, like, pursued the main plot mm. at all. I just kind of, like, dinked around. And I was a bit similar, yeah. yeah.
1: I just collected all the gems I could find and put them in my house.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, I accumulated items from other people because as soon as I realised you didn't get told off if you were part of the Thieves Guild, yeah. I was like, fantastic. I can just order like everything. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so these, like, almost like these slice of life Videos do they still have quite a strong following?
1: On yeah, I think think they're fairly popular. And similarly, there's people um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but Mm -hmm. there's someone who does Pokemon, um, and basically like challenges in different Mm -hmm. Pokemon games. For example, it's like can I play Pokemon red using only Ash's Pokemon, or can I beat the Nuzlocke challenge? Yeah, like can I only use Ditto? There's these kinds of and I guess they're challenges, but they're also examples of failure because throughout these videos, and it's mm-hmm. similar to the Skyrim ones, yeah. they're kind of like, okay, this is what I set out to do. I knew that these were going to be the obstacles yes, in the game mechanics yeah. to making this happen. Mm-hmm. And this is what I therefore decided. And yeah. a lot of the time, they do end up not working out. Mm-hmm. And that it's like an experiment, I suppose. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. It's an example
0: of like living differently yeah. in the world. Yeah, I also... We were talking a little bit about Twitch streamers earlier, and I was just thinking about how, you know, on, on Twitch... Uh, there is a kind of, like, real joy in when the player fails as mm. well. And it's not always, like, a toxic kind of yeah, joy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's it's a way for people to connect with a mm. player they really enjoy watching is seeing them sort of, like, flop
1: and gives you an opportunity to have a laugh and mm. things like that. Yeah, it's kind I of mean, interesting. that reminds me, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this, but there's... Um it's so called janky games. Mm. I'll put the reference. I'll put the yeah, reference in sure. because I forgot to talk about it. But mm. games are designed to be janky on purpose, like co-op. Yes. like where yeah. every like arm and leg is a different control, and it's meant to be really difficult. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of you can only really fail because it's so hard. Yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff as yeah. well. A yeah. bit like
0: um, wobble yoga. Yeah, <laughs> as well, yeah, where you sort of have to hold your body parts. Exactly, it's, it's deliberate. Like the keys are kind of awkwardly placed, and it doesn't it it's it's almost more enjoyable when you do badly. Yeah. There's <laughs> like hilarious animations of this person balancing in ways that the human body should never be <laughs> able to do. Um, yeah, I was thinking about um yeah, I was already spoke about I was going to talk about Exocolonist, but mm. I kind of already touched on how I think like that game is kind of like nice at exploring failure. Mm. Um but yeah, another game that I always, I don't know, I keep thinking about it in terms of failure, even though it's its its not necessarily failure in the same way we're talking about these Skyrim players and things like that, because it's its structured, but um, the two I was thinking of is Saints Row 3 and Saints Row 4, <laughs> which are games that I love, but particularly Saints Row 4 for just what a chaotic hodgepodge of a game <laughs> it is. Um, and I think in many ways you could read these games as deliberate failures of the Grand Theft Auto. Like oh, yeah. Action
1: hero... <laughs> Narrative. It's like people say Grand Theft Auto is sarcastic. I'm like, no, no, no. Saints Row is sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. No.
0: Saints Row, is, Saints Row, especially those two, I think, are particularly um, <laughs> aggressively sarcastic and also sort of aggressively aware of different game tropes and stuff like that. And just, I think they're they're always. and and I mean this in a good way, that deliberately, like, how can we make this so campy and so excessive (laughs) and so ludicrous and so obscene that it just kind of, like, it is possibly maybe not even appealing to people who would like this kind of (laughs) genre. And I, you know. It's like an
1: absurdist game, I suppose, in some way, maybe.
0: Yeah, it is. It is quite absurdist. And I think, that in it—that's what I mean. I'm like, it's, I'm not sure whether it's—it's it's mm. failure in the same way we've been talking about it. But maybe um, I think these games find a lot of joy in failure, yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, failures of logic or things like that. Um, and I was thinking, in both those games, there is like a side side mission you can do to make money, which is called insurance fraud. Um, and <laughs> you uh, basically you start the little like side job, and you're Character is just like ragdoll, you know, no, oh. no like physics or whatever. And you, you, but you can kind of roll them about, and the idea is to kind of get hit by as many vehicles <laughs> as possible, and sort of like roll into oncoming traffic. And the fourth one is particularly good because you can really get very high if you like time it right. You can make a lot of money this way. Um, oh, that's funny. And, of course, you're, like, playing this insurance fraud mission as the main character. Who is the boss of a criminal organization? <laughs> so they're kind of an important person, but, you know, they're really on the ground, like, <laughs> making, making the dollars. And that, I think, you know, yeah, it, that's the sort of, like, absurdist interpretation of it. Like, it's crime, but in a completely... Yeah. With, like, no one would ever commit this crime <laughs> ever, but this game is, like, yeah, well, it falls into our um, bucket, Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. And there's, I think, you know, there's through, I say, say through 3 and 4 because those are the ones I'm most mm. familiar with. Um, it is kind of true across one, two, three, and 4. And I haven't played the sort of reboot mm. game yet. I played the Boss Factory character creator when it came out, but I still haven't actually played the new one. So I'm just talking about these two for now. But, like, there are so many missions where you, like, get turned into a toilet and have to kind of like, like there was one in Saints Row 3 where you go into this virtual reality and you're like tech person. You sort of get in there and your main character is like, what, why am I a toilet? And your tech person is like, oops. And you just have to like play the first bit of the mission as a toilet, like holding a gun. And then Saints Row 4, most of it is actually set in a virtual replica of the city. Like it's not actually in a city. And something that I just found hilarious the first time I played it is because it's a virtual reality, sometimes the NPCs kind of glitch out deliberately. So you'd be like walking down the street, and someone will just have like really long legs, <laughs> or like someone will, will be like a you know household item. They've just been turned into that, and they're just kind of like going about their day. And it's never really reflected on, or like it's 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 a joke that's very visual and mm. never kind of acknowledged. Um, but yeah, so I think. You know, it's it's a bit different because it's structured to be that way. But I think it's structured to kind of make fun of mm. some things that... Perhaps more seriously toned action RPGs, because yeah, because um, it's it's like
1: yeah. in a way the physics thing is like Goat Simulator. It's playing yes. at failure of physics yes. engines. Yes. The yeah. glitches is playing at failure of like let's just give us what, Assassin's Creed yeah. France, liberate whatever it's called. All the jokes, all the jokes about the can't animate women stuff in there. You know, like it is poking fun at those yeah. failures. I suppose it's
0: a failure of the immersive RPG. Yes, it's like you know, it's a lot of. Sort of big open world. After- they're like, oh, you can really live in this world. You can really exist in it. A bit like the Pokemon thing. Yeah. Like we want you to feel like you belong here in this world. as living whereas Saints Row was like nothing is working. You know, like <laughs> this is not. Or you'll be like immersed for a second, and then someone with an enormous head just walks past, and you're like, huh? Like. What? <laughs> um, so I think yeah, it 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 deliberately like breaks the the sense of immersion. Mm. It fails it um, or you know, it creates a different kind of It's a new kind, kind of, kind of new emotion, yeah.
1: disbelief um, yeah. yeah. and all that.
0: Yeah, so I think I think they're really fun games. Um,
1: You've made me motivated to give it another go because I do mm. have three and four. I just oh, cool, I played yeah. little bits of both of them. And yeah. I, I thought they were funny. Like, I had a good laugh out yeah. of them. I just didn't stick with them a huge amount.
0: I actually played four first mm. and then went backwards because I enjoyed it so mm. much. Um, and four is definitely the most ridiculous. Perfect. Um, but... Yeah, three is three is a pretty solid That's <laughs> ridiculousness too, um, and I was thinking, you know, yeah, just like I guess the joy in failure. And I was thinking of Felicia Day's mm. Cooptitude series, which I haven't watched for a long time. That is
1: my favorite one
0: that the, she did. Yeah. yeah. So, um, is it still running? No, it's not. So Very upsetting. Felicia Day, um, you know, celebrated, I guess. Games journalist, creator. I
1: like, I just, when I try to describe to somebody who doesn't know this stuff, I kind of just say she's like a gaming celebrity, which is probably, celebrity might be like not a nice way to put it, but she's like a commentator. She does, she's an actress. She writes, she's a creator. All kinds of things. She does
0: does a lot of interesting things, but on um, her Geek and Sundry Mm. YouTube channel, she did this series with her brother where they played like, old video, not old, but you know like older video games. Some were games. pretty old, yeah. Yeah, some were pretty old. Um, And, you know, often played
1: them kind of badly. It's fantastic. It's a
0: lot of fun and it's was-
1: Yeah, Especially being siblings, like, that's how siblings, like, it's the aggressiveness and the, like, like, really winding each other up and being, like, that's exactly what it's like to play with a sibling, which just tends to result in failure.
0: And I think having, you know, these people have played a lot of games as well, so playing these older games and sort of, like, being aware of the failures in logic is also what made it quite funny or, like, where, like, game mechanics just didn't quite make sense. I was mm. like, the
1: episode they play games was like Goof Troop and yes. GoldenEye. My favorite, I think, is the Chippendale one. That one is... Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I
0: know, I know they ran it for a while and then I think someone else did it for a bit and it's yes. kind of wrapped up for now. But the or,
1: like the first like bunch
0: of episodes is so good. Yeah, so it's a, it's a... Yeah, it's good fun.
1: I'm a big fan of her so I'll always be like, please watch her stuff.
0: Yeah, and even like, I think actually, to be honest as as a writer and an actress, she's probably someone who has explored like failure as a function of games yeah. quite quite richly. and I'm thinking of the guild oh. as well, where like she's a good player, but she's kind of failing at life, and it's that <laughs> kind of tension that you know is explored through that series, and then it kind of but she's not really failing at mm. life, but kind of she's not fitting into at least at the start of the series, mm. she's got like a serious World of Warcraft addiction, which was inspired by her yeah. own experience. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of not doing, she's basically
1: failing therapy itself. <laughs> it's so funny, um, she's like on the phone to her therapist yeah. and be like, are you playing right now? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and like, niche, the initial kind of premise is like, oh, like she's maybe not in the best place, but it's actually her connection with other players that mm. is almost liberating. Um, and not not such a failure as perhaps the very initial scene tries to suggest, which yeah. is kind of fun. I like that show a lot. Too. I
1: have a big smile on my face because I just love that show yeah. so much. <laughs> it's, it's honestly what got me into yeah. it all... It made me want to do honours, you know? Like, this is the stuff that yeah. got me into...
0: Yeah, I think, in a way, that show maybe, you know, explores some of how ideas too. Mm. that, like, you can live differently, and that's not necessarily a failing sometimes it's a really
1: beautiful thing I'm Just thinking of vork in the shed at the back of the garden inching the fence over yeah. bit by bit got these like dead aunt or someone's patient yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He, he dares to live differently he, yeah. vork dares to live differently yeah.
0: so look out for our next paper
1: <laughs> on the
0: queer out of vork from <laughs> the guild um yeah but i think yeah I don't know. They they came to mind for me for like yeah. fun explorations of failure in video games as well. It's
1: like the playfulness in the failure, right? Yes, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's not necessarily being afraid of it if it happens.
1: What a lovely lovely sentiment. <laughs> <have to> <laughs> well, on that
0: note, perhaps we shall yes. we'll wrap up this episode. Um, we'll be back again soon, but thank you so much for listening this far. Um, I hope, hope you've had a good time. Yeah, well, we thank you very much.
1: Right, see ya. <laughs> If you'd like to support our podcast, you can support us through Buy Me A Coffee. If you go to meaningfulplaypodcast.wordpress.com, you can find the link there. Thanks.